Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with Marco Radicevic and Fernando Cipriano. They've both been on the show before, but in case you're not familiar with them, Marco Radicevic is a longtime friend of ours. He's a buddy of mine from high school. We have lots of different adventures that we can and could share on the show that we haven't just yet, so maybe in future episodes we, we, we will. But he's the co-founder of Nexus Systems Group, along with his business partner, John Salome. John's been on the show as well before. This is a staff augmentation company. Basically, they work with the finance industry in Toronto, Fernando Cipriano runs an artificial intelligence fund, so they're using AI to invest money in the markets. So both of these guys have really interesting perspectives on the economy and the markets, and that's why Nick and I want to sit down with them because all of us are asking, what the heck is going on in the economy, the real estate market, the stock market, Bitcoin, gold, silver, you name it, what the heck is going on? So really... We just wanted to have a chat, sit around the table, and share our thoughts. And that's what we did on this particular episode. So we talk about different things, GDP, income growth, real estate prices. Nick Nick brings, brings up a list of per square meter real estate prices around the world. So we're just kind of four people sitting around giving our thoughts on the economy. This is the kind of stuff I really enjoy doing. So hopefully we'll do more and more of this kind of stuff. And if you are listening to this and you want to make sense of some of the stuff that's going on in this, specifically in the greater Toronto, market, you can learn what we are doing. Not that we have a crystal ball or anything, but we are doing our best to research this stuff and share it. And we have been for 10 years at something we call the Your Life, Your Terms events, where it's three or four times a year, we have these bigger events where we get together and give a rock star economic update on the global macroeconomic climate as we see it. We also break down the local real estate market. We bring in some other guest speakers. On this one, we're bringing in Greg Foss, a longtime 30 plus year veteran of the bond market to give us his take on the credit markets and what they are telling us during these times. We're bringing on Craig Ballantyne, who's a personal development coach who really helps you maximize the 80-20 rule in your life and focus on the 20% of things that are going to produce the 80% of results for you. We're bringing on our personal accountant, Andrew Topping, to go through different tax structures as real estate investors and break down the pros and the cons and the different tax rates of them. We have over a thousand people already registered. I'm pretty sure we are at our cap, but we do get some last minute cancellations. So if there's a waiting list started, you can check for that at yourlifeyourtermsevent.com. So you can get all the details for this event. It's Saturday, February 20th and, you, 20th, and you can check if there's any seats left at www.yourlifeyourtermsevent.com. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Marco <laughs> Fernando, Nick, and myself. And uh, we were just talking about how um, Marco's a TikTok star. Mm -hmm. Fernando, have you heard what goes down on this thing, this TikTok, where they knock I'm a, I'm a dinosaur, no. Okay, Marco, can you explain to everyone what happened to you? So I was at home, I was uh, busy, I was doing something and I, I uh, heard a ring at the doorbell and uh, it showed up on my phone. So I took a look at it. My daughter answered the phone and there was some guy at the door and he said, hey, you know, is it okay if I, and so I went over the door to make sure everything was okay. And my, my daughter comes up to me and says, there's a guy at the door. He's a very famous TikToker wow. and uh, he wants to put our house in his TikToks. So right away I was a little bit skeptical, right? 
And I went over and uh, I'd actually seen the guy. You know, I'm on Instagram once in a while. So I'm, I'm, I thought I'm you were going to say you're there. on TikTok. No, <laughs> I've never been on TikTok. But I'd, I'd seen this guy. So what he does is he approaches uh, homes that he thinks are somewhat impressive. And uh, he kind of sets it up. He, he knocks on your door and asks you, is it okay if I do this? And, is this uh, your subtle way of telling us your home's impressive? Yeah, I didn't think it was very subtle. I, I didn't, how do yeah. I say this without uh, sounding cocky? But yeah. um, anyway, so and it's kind of interesting because he does say he's like, when I knock on your door, I make sure I show my watch because he's got an advertising deal with this watch company. So when he knocks, you see the watch in every scene. Um, so he does, does a little knock on the door. You open the door, and he's like, "Oh, hi, sir. Your house is really impressive. Can I ask you what you do for a living?" Um, and I actually liked the, the, the spirit of what he's trying to do because what he's trying to say to people is what are people who have these houses? Cause my house is one of the, the, the less impressive ones that are on this guy's, uh, TikTok site. Uh, but nice recovery, knock- nice recovery. Well, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> and then he'll do a few in-depth ones with people. So he actually did one with Sam McDaddy. Um, and you know, he goes in and interviews him and Sam tells him, you know, this is where I started. This is where I'm from. This is, you know, how hard I worked. So I actually saw that there was some value in what the guy was doing. It's it's not just him, you know, showing himself jump off roofs into pools or something like that. Well, I don't mind the jump off the roofs into pools. That's ninety percent of what I go to the internet for. <laughs> but I'm not sure I want my kids watching that stuff. Anyway, so uh, but the, 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 we this kind of came from a real estate conversation. I wanted your opinion on it, uh, both of you guys, because what we're seeing on the streets right now is pure mayhem. So we're seeing properties like 60 days ago that were, um, Nick, I think it's fair to say like in some properties right here in Oakville in the last 60 days, like a 20% in, increase on, yeah. so, on some of them. So like, let's call it a, a house that was maybe $900,000 um you know a million dollars and now it's you know easily 1.2 1.3 wow um so those are some big changes right these are not <laughs> yeah in 60 days yeah in yeah, 60 yeah. days and there seems to be like a, a fear of missing out that's yeah. what's almost like the, the the catalyst of this at the end i know we've had a strong market all year but don't you find this recent behavior is almost like panicked buying like i don't want to miss out anymore it does feel like it definitely feels this the closest we saw to it was 2017 mm. 2017 that things were like this and we're like this is insane it almost and you had that sense as well where 2017 changed though is the government came in there first they had uh, they were saying a lot of things about you know hey you know the market's overheated we're going to you know you, everyone's got to be careful they're taking on too much debt you know they were coming out and trying to talk it down didn't work they put the foreign buyer tax in place mm-hmm. which kind of ultimately led to a, a kind of a brief in in the grand scheme of things a pretty brief kind of small correction leveled out to kind of more historic trends or recent trends um whereas what the weird thing this time is the government the bank of canada government came out about two weeks ago and he said he said, yeah, we don't see any, the bubble. Wow. He's like, it's low interest rates and it was low interest rates and something driving this. And we're like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? Like, what wow. are you talking about? Because I agree with see, you. We don't see froth. I think yeah, he used was the froth? word froth. Yeah, I have the quote somewhere, but. Mm. That's crazy. Yeah, so they're not, so they've basically up until this point, unlike 2017, they're just backing off and saying, nope, we're, we're good. So and, why do you think, do you think right now they are, they're so worried about COVID, they're so worried about the whole economy that they don't want to slow down anything. They're just happy to let, if there's something good out there, what they deem good, just let it go. Because the worst thing they'd want to see is a slowdown or worse. I think right now it's driving so much. And it's not just, so like, yes, yeah, Toronto. Yes, so yes, 100%. Yeah. And Toronto and Vancouver, like, you know, those big areas in, in, in Canada, they're they're really kind of scorching, right? For the, for the most part. I know there's segments of the condo market and all this stuff. 
but it's it's right across the country and it's, it's wow. across most of the u.s and stuff as well this this isn't like a, a toronto or gta based thing right now it's right across when if you're looking at what's happening with property prices everywhere to a different extent yeah. but the same strong numbers are you know very rarely can you say that because often other times in different places it, there's very different trends going on. Yeah. I, I think at the central, and I'd like your opinion on, on, both of your opinion on this. I think at the central banking level, they see a problem. Since 2008 in the US, if you look at the amount of debt in that country, the debt has been increased three times, slightly more than three times. It's actually about 8 trillion to about 26, 27 trillion today. So the G, the mm-hmm. debt in the country, three times. The so GD, tripled in 12 years. Correct. Okay. The GDP in the same time frame, 2008 to now, is up about 50%. So when I see that, and maybe I'm being too naive here, but I'm like, well, for every dollar of new debt that goes in the system, we're not even getting a dollar of new productive economic growth here. Is that different than the previous 12 years? It is different. Yeah. yeah. I it, think it, I think they would not to defend the No, the no, but this is what I want to hear. Yeah, yeah. But if you ask them that, you know, you've taken two crisis situations, the 2008 credit crisis that required a huge stimulus package to save businesses. That's what I find interesting. What the way the world dealt with the credit crisis in 08 versus how they've dealt with COVID, it's interesting to me because in 08, all the stimulus money went to save businesses. We heard at that time we heard this phrase too big to fail. And so companies like AIG, who was big financial services company, I saved lost a lot of money on AIG. Right? <laughs> so so what's interesting is the central banks back then thought the way to save the economy was to give businesses money. This time with COVID, they said the way to save the economy is to give people money. It's kind of interesting because Air Canada's fighting for stimulus relief and they're not getting it. So it's like the government said, you know what, in 2008, we tried by giving it to the businesses. This time, let's, let's spread it out and give it to people. And you see the CERB payments in Canada. So back to your point, when you look at the increased debts from these countries, you're having two major crises that required emergency relief in the... In, you know, to the tune of trillions of dollars. In the case of the U.S., you're right, they're at $26 trillion. But when Obama took over in 08, it was only at about $8 trillion. He had to spend a couple of trillion to save the U.S. economy then. And now they spent another 2 or $3 trillion to save it now. So I think it's a little bit, not misleading, but probably false to say the debt's at $26 trillion. I would argue the debt has probably doubled. The re- remainder is stimulus relief because of crises. Okay. So nevertheless, that, yeah, yeah. your point is a valid one. That is, if the debt's doubled and the GDP is only grown by fifty percent, there, so, there's a so disconnect. then here's my next thought, which and, and and I'm obviously I don't I don't I don't know if this is a proper thought or not. That's why I'm interested to hear what you guys think. We increased it three times to basically save the world. First the companies, now mm-hmm. the people. So it's twenty seven trillion in the US right now. So now let's say over the next twelve years to just match what we've done, assuming that, you know, assuming that it's similar. And I guess I could maybe anticipate you saying, Fernando, Fernando, that there's not going to be any crisis. They won't have to. I'm saying it's going to be exactly the same. There'll be two other crises. They just don't see them yet. Mm-hmm. So if you go from 27 trillion and you increase it again three times, we are now at 81 trillion dollars. If the GDP doesn't start doing something different, we are going to have a debt at 81 trillion. 1% interest rate move on 81 trillion dollars, 10% is 8.1. This is 810 billion dollars in, interest, in only. interest only payments. If interest rates move 2%, 
we're talking 2.6 trillion a year, 1.6 a year, 3%, like 2.4 trillion dollars a year in interest only payments. So the t current tax revenues in the government of the US is like 3.2 trillion or, or something like that. We, we are getting to a weird world where nothing better happen over the next 12 years because I just don't understand how this sustains itself. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, the, I'm not def this very same argument was, yeah, yeah. was given by the Republican Party in the U.S. <clears throat> when Obama was, was spending trillions of dollars to save the economy back in 08, they said, how are we going to pay this debt back? And that was at 10 trillion. If they, if you at that point made the same argument, this could get to 20 trillion, 27 trillion. This is unsustainable. Yet here we are. So I don't know the answer to it. If okay, I'm one more, so one more. I like that line of thinking. You're right. Because I think that's exactly the right line of thinking. It's like, here we are. We've right. made it. We've right. made it. Interest rates are today yep. at a level where there's no more room to move. Right. Whereas when Obama came in, they were low, but they were like at, you know, five, I remember getting mortgages at that time at like 5.2%. Mm -hmm. So this is the curveball in that whole, I'm like, okay, yeah, that is a fair argument. But then now all the guns and the, all the bullets in the gun are gone. Are we at that moment? I, you know, Japan cut interest rates to zero 30 years ago and has never raised them again. Now, they have a pretty stagnant econ uh, economy. That might be because they have no immigration policy. They have no immigrants coming to Japan. But <clears throat> the point is, it wouldn't be the first time that, because I believe fundamentally we're never going to raise rates. I really believe that. There's, there's too much, like you said, if interest rates go up by 1%, it damages you know the U.S. economy dramatically because of all the interest payments. But I would submit to you that Imagine if interest rates went up for all of us, right? We all have lots of debt in this country with houses that we own now. So I just think they've tied their hands, uh, you know, the central banks have, and they've said, you know what, we got into bed with these low interest rates. I'm afraid we have to stick this out. I just don't see how they can raise them. I just so, don't know where, where, like, I think we're in uncharted waters right now. And I don't think anybody knows where this is going to go because everybody is seeking, you know, just going to our previous discussion, private equity is seeking return. And they're seeking that return on higher and higher risk investments. And I think eventually we get to the point where, you know, pension funds are looking for return on investment. You know, where are they going to get that return anymore? There, there's nothing safe out there that has a return. So you've got to go into more and more risky assets. And I think eventually there's going to be some very, very dangerous bubbles out there. There probably already are. And, you know, where those red flags are, you tell me, but... See, if you just look at history, man, not, nothing like this ever goes well in the end, right? right? And I think the big problem is, you know, going back to 2008 and going back, to, you know, okay, maybe COVID's a bit different, but, you know, was the big problem that they should have just let the economy go yes. through its natural uh, evolution of up and down. We tried too hard to save it. And, you know, I don't know what that, the, the overall impact of too big to fail really meant um, because people lost their houses anyways. So, you know, did we, did we as, you know, a global economy make a mistake going in and saving a sick beast? And now we've made the, we've amplified the problem over and over and over. And where we go from here, I have no idea. I mean, we've had this conversation a number of times, this quick little numbers that you've jotted. I don't know. I don't know where so, you go. Okay. I mean, isn't MMT all based on this, but somehow GDP is supposed to catch up magically, which nobody knows how. So, so it's funny because we had someone in our um, in our VIP group who yesterday mentioned has an economic background, has friends who are economists at, at who are some, central bankers, yeah, yeah, and and they said, and from what she's seeing in conversations with them, we're saying 
they're just trying to figure it out too. They're like, they don't have the plan. And then to, to your point, Fernando, what were you saying about the, um, the, the, the money and the amount of money coming? That, that's what I was going to say too, Marco. I was just like, so where does the money go then? Because if this money's coming, so, because maybe we get to 60 billion. It goes to my Austin Matthews rookie card. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Because when we get to 60 billion, 80 billion, whatever it is, you know, and then we, we're sitting there, we're like, yeah, everything's okay. So we're still here. Then where does the money go? And I think that's where I'm seeing the problem right now is the the government's telling everyone that inflation is at one point what is it two oh no it was less than one percent last month whatever it is it's you know between, zero typically point seven, between zero one and two percent right but when we look at things you know look at you're you're in the financial sector right look mm -hmm. at there's not what are the asset prices doing are right. those is I know they're not included in this in 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 the calculation but look at what's happening to real estate so to what you're saying we're getting bubbles everywhere because there's all this money it. It's not sitting in checking checking accounts. It has to go find a home, right. mm -hmm. and that's what's driving all this, and it's creating a mess. You're right. It it, it could feel like we're we're on the road to some calamity that that has to come. And I, like we said, I don't think anyone knows. So how do you hold, so I'm interested then? How do you hold two thoughts in your mind that yes, we could be ten years from today and everything is okay. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think, I don't know if we were recording or not when we were talking about the Oakville real estate prices and mm -hmm. just thinking, oh, this is feeling like a little frothy mm -hmm. right here. Can you hold those two thoughts at the same time? Yes, because I think it's not such a binary decision that it's either going to continue on or it's going to crash. I do believe like 2017, where you had a slight correction, maybe, a, you know, if we're talking specifically real estate, as I've said to you before, my belief is that we might be reaching what I consider, you know, maximum velocity when it comes to real estate. That doesn't mean I think prices are going to fall. The last time prices fell in a material way in Canada was 1989, right? 90, I was going to say 90. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we've had 25 years of almost straight up. So I'm not call. I don't believe there's going to be a crash because as I said to you earlier, yes, we may be paying high prices for real estate. We may be in multiple, you know, bidding offers on these things, but people are moving in. And they're moving in and they're paying the bills. These aren't, they're not entering into multiple bidding wars and then buying multiple houses because they want to be a you know landlord or they want to own multiple is, is houses. Is that what you remember in 89? Oh, well, I, yes, a little bit, but that's certainly what I remember in 2008 in the U.S. The problem with the U.S. real estate market that collapsed in 08 and the Canadian market did not was because in the U.S. people were buying four and five and six houses. Now, it's a different banking world in the U.S., People are able to borrow 100% loan to value on their houses. They don't have to put anything down in the U.S., unlike here we do. Um, U.S. banks will lend money as much as you want. So I've even heard of mortgages that were 105% of the value of the home. So people would buy a home for a million dollars and they'd borrow a million fifty from the bank just so they had a little bit of spending money to start. That doesn't happen in Canada. So in the U.S., when the economy started to, to crumble in 2008, you suddenly had all these people who couldn't f afford their mortgage payments, and you had a flood of inventory. And when you have the laws of supply and demand, if there's more housing inventory and not enough buyers, prices have to fall. And so you saw in states like California, Arizona, Nevada, and Florida, prices fell by over 50% in a matter of six months. Meanwhile, in Canada, we kind of went unscathed uh, in real estate. And I think the, the, the reason we did was because our banking system is much better. Our banks force us to put money down and our banks don't allow us to buy five houses when you don't have an income to support them. So I don't think real estate will crash in Canada, but I also don't think it's going to go up much more from here.
That may be a so bold can, statement too. Yeah, and, and it, it, it kind of it, when you look at the market now, it feels like saying plateau is a bold statement. Mm-hmm. I think it, it is. Does yeah, feel it like, does sound like a bold statement. Well, okay. I think I think I would have made that. Can you come closer into? I would have made that comment two years ago. True. That we were, you know, got to be getting close towards the plateau. But, but right? yeah, but what changed was the the interest rates changed. For sure, so the carrying costs went down, and every we we know from speaking to the mortgage brokers that, that we know, they say, look, no one cares about the price they pay; they only care about their monthly payment. Yeah. So whatever they could afford before, if carrying costs go down, so you know, to them, monthly affordability is there, then they'll immediately go and, and spend the max of what they can spend. Right. But I just want to, I, I want to just bring this back to something else because we're all talking about this from real estate and we're like well things can go up they can level off you know and the debt can go up and asset appreciation and that type of stuff here's here's a flip side that kind of we don't live on a day-to-day basis but i was just speaking to someone before this and who was not able to afford a property just not able to afford any piece of any piece of real estate was close before it's just now just out of the market again and doesn't know if they're ever going to be able to afford you know a, a piece of real estate again because of what we're seeing in this asset inflation that's where to to I know to, to both of us that's where it kind of pisses me off like that's where mm-hmm. I think that these policies so we're talking about like well look here's what we might can happen we might get to 80 80 trillion in debt whatever who's 60 trillion whatever the number is and yeah there might be appreciation the GDP might not grow but there's like a real human consequence here to people that are, are like being they're being screwed by these financial policies that's the problem with all of this to me is is that I, I think we're just we're leaving a good segment of people behind and, and I think that's just it's almost criminal and I don't know with with the way the money system set up it, it, I think it is what it is at this point I don't think they're gonna reverse it you know they try to support people with these CERB payments um, what, what you were saying earlier, the money went to the people. But after it goes to the people, where does it go? Mm-hmm. It goes yeah. just to the big businesses. It went to Costco and Amazon. I mean, look at Amazon right. profits, right? So this is the this to me is the problem with all this. It's not that can we survive without a little bit of a reset of the market adjustment. It's like, what the hell are we doing to people? Well, what if we're, you know, not to, you know, to, to throw an alternative yeah, no, of course, view yeah. of this. What if we're on the precipice of a change in how we view home ownership? Mm-hmm. In that, what if this next generation, you know, doesn't need to own a home that they decide to rent? I mean, the big cities, New York City, no one owns property in New York City. They all rent. You look at Europe, most people rent in Europe. So I think we grew up believing, and it was a, for a good reason, that our homes <clears throat> became our biggest asset, our, our retirement plan almost for those that didn't have a pension plan. You pay off your mortgage after 25 years and you now have this big asset. And that's all valid. And it's worked great for people that don't have pensions. But, you know, what if this next generation doesn't see the home as a saving tool, but rather sees it as a utility? You know, I live there. I drive a car. I pay monthly car payments or lease payments. I use utilities in my house. I don't own utilities. I pay for them every month. What if, because the idea of renting does provide more clarity and predictability that owning a home does not. And so... I'm not saying that people shouldn't own homes and I'm not advocating for these prices to continue to rise and shut people out of the market. But I'm just saying we might be looking at it through our lens and young people might say, like you said earlier, all I care about is what's the payment? Can I live on that? Evidence of this is, you know, I've recently, someone sent me, um, I was looking at a car that maybe I wanted to buy. I'm like, send me, I'm curious what the interest rates are if you do finance them. And the guy sent me 96 month loans. Didn't even send me any other terms. 
And the reason he did that, obviously, was because it was the smallest number. And he's like, that'll be the most compelling thing to show this person, right? 96 a month. Oh, but most loans now are, you can get 96 months. And I find that so hysterical that people don't own cars for more than a year or two, and yet they're paying loans for 96 months, which is eight years. Who drives a car for eight years? But that's what they're lending. And I think it's because these, yeah. this new generation is conditioned on payment, not the holistic view of what does this mean for my whole economic picture? Yeah, I see that. The, 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 the one thing that I would say to that is, because I agree with you, I think it makes a lot of sense, except that I, I think it still disturbs me that the, the government policy, their inflationary policies, has removed the choice for people. Mm-hmm. How, and that's, that's how where much I of the market, how much of the real estate market is people buying homes for themselves versus investors? Because I, I can tell you right now, when I look at, okay, our parents' generation was obviously very different um, in terms of what they were capable of, level of education. But if I look at my network of friends, I'd have to say, and I might be estimating high, 35 to 40% of them own a secondary property. Yeah, the when, number's when, not that high. Yeah. Yeah, right, that that's okay, that's high. my that group. But um, what would you say, like, how many people own secondary homes now? Less, less, than, five, less yeah. than 5%. Yeah. At one point, we knew the data that uh, it was like one... I thought it was two just under two yeah, percent yeah. of all mortgages in Canada were, was a long were second ago. homer investment properties. And then I was talking to a friend the other day who told me she had a friend who owned a hundred homes in this country. Yes, it's well, possible. It's, it's I mean, unlikely, I won't, I won't but, say yeah. it's impossible, but I, that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it, it doesn't happen as much. I've got to yeah, tell yeah. you, hundred doors is one thing. Hundred hundred actual no, these were hundred individual mortgages. homes. A hundred individual mortgages. Who is this person? And, and tell I'm, her to I'd give cur- us money. Yeah. Tell her to come here. I already here. asked. <laughs> I'd also be curious to know who funded all Who's, this. Yeah. 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 Because well, banks, was, would, banks wouldn't do it. It's yeah. funny because that's where the the that's where the, the, the subject came up was getting mortgages. Because getting mortgages is what's becoming uh, an inhibitor for people who actually have cash right now. 100%. Which is funny, and, it, and it, 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 I kind of like that it's a little difficult, yeah. to, to your point, to the health of, but at the same time, to someone who can't get their first property, if this is their way to get into the asset inflation that's going to take place, I get that frustration. Right. So well, if it's you only can 5% kinda, of people that are that are owning secondary homes, then the speculative market is not what's contributing it doesn't to the feel like it prices. yet. No way. So I, I've for, said people are moving in. Yeah. I mean, that's there's, why there's stability in our market. There's because, segments. Like if you go to high rise, so you go to condos in Vancouver and Toronto, yeah. the number's not five percent. Right. It's definitely more. I think I think it, the number's actually closer to about forty percent. Right. Of people that are sure. Buying so we could slice it. You, you know up what I mean? Bit. But but if you but so so but if you're on the grand the, the grand scale of everything, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty small number. But that's why you see those those are the properties that often get hit the quickest and the hardest when there are hiccups. But even those. I would submit to you that you're not going to see the big, you know, 50% reductions because, again, our laws regarding construction of condos mm-hmm. in Toronto, you have to sell out 70% before you can even break ground. So when you're buying a condo, you're not moving into it or taking possession of it for three or four years. By that point, these things are all so deep in the money that they can afford to take a little bit less yeah. rent. And you're seeing that right now you can rent a, a, a condo in Toronto at a fraction of what you could rent before. And, and I think the, the, the person that believes that those landlords are losing money are mistaken because they're so deep in the money because they bought these things five and six years ago. And now they've doubled, tripled in price that they can take a lower rent. Notice how you're, I mean, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Yes, there's a lot of inventory in Toronto of condos, but it's not like the prices are falling off a cliff. Mm-hmm. If this were the U.S. and there was that much inventory in, in a city, 
the prices would be off by 50%, but it's yeah. the decline is very modest. In both price and rent, and it's going to it's going to differ depending on different areas of Toronto, but on average it was about over the previous 5 years prior to last year, the appreciation rates you saw were about 60% in total. So if people were buying the pre-construction and right. now they're, and even though rents have dropped now, what depending on the areas 15, some 20. some buildings were even 20% right. because of high Airbnb units. Well, over five years previous, they jumped so much that, you know, That's if they've point. owned them for a period. So you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's just a more stable market. Our banks have done a great job. And it's because we only have five banks. See, in the U.S., because yeah. banks are regional, right, they have to compete. So there's no, you know, they've got in every single county, in every single state, there's multiple banks. And so they're willing to give people as much as they want just to win their business. In Canada, the five banks have an oligopoly. They say... Look, we're all going to follow these rules. No one's going to lower their, you know, credit demands from people. And so because of that, they can call the shots. And so if you don't have 20%, you have to get it insured by the government. It's just a well put together system. And we're very conservative. And that's why in Canada, you're not going to see the same kind of jumps. In the U.S., the flip side is also positive. When things are going well, you've seen... People with very modest means become, you know, multimillionaires because they can buy multiple houses. And when things are going well, they can really, uh, you know, increase wealth in a hurry. Hmm. In Canada, I, you really can't. Yeah. Never thought about the, the flip side of it in the U.S. You're yeah. right. Yeah. I do think Fernando might be on to a point, though, about, um, you know, the, the, the method or, or how people live in Europe, how they live in New York City. Because for years we heard about how Toronto was an international city that didn't have international prices. So maybe it has become, okay, you know, how, how big is the GTA and, and how far do you have to go out before it's not reasonable for someone to be able to afford a house? Um, that might be a secondary question, but maybe not being able to afford uh, a house in the city of Toronto for an average family, maybe that's just the way life becomes because it's not like that in San Francisco. It's not like that in Paris. No working class families buying a house in Rome, right? right? I don't know. That doesn't sound good to me. I'm not a big fan of it, but... Maybe that's that component. But I do think at the end of the day, going back to our conversation before. You're starting this, to smile. You're going to no, say the but market's it's like, gonna... like if, you know, How can cryptocurrency be at an all-time high? How can the stock market be at an all-time high? Real estate be at an all-time high? Trading cards be at an all-time high? You know, if, it's, if it sounds like a duck, walks like a duck, it's, it's, it's a duck. I, I feel a bubble everywhere. And it's just a matter of time before this stuff pops. Are the assets the bubble or is the dollar the bubble? Well, both. So something I have to, to that you guys, I want your opinion on is that they're seeing a lot of development in some of these newer finance things like some of this crypto stuff and, you know, decentralized finance, all the rage. And I don't want to get into a debate on whether that's going to be something or not. But but I do find it interesting that I heard this podcast um, with Preston Pish. Is that how you say his last name? <coughs> I, I'm not sure. Um, we study millionaires, billionaires, billionaires we study yeah. billionaires. And it was Willie Wu, who's a, an analyst of some of the Bitcoin data on the blockchain where he can literally see new accounts being created you can literally see if people are pulling yeah, he's looking stuff. at the matrix he's basically looking yeah. at the matrix and then you have this plan b guy who's on there who has a model for some of this stuff which is really interesting it was a fascinating discussion but it made me think of something and and, and fernando i know you you know you with your ai fund that just kind of got me thinking like what happens if with this whole what happens if Bitcoin itself as the asset isn't really the thing we should be paying attention to? What if the network that Bitcoin represents and the ability to move value around the world in a newer, more efficient financial way, 
So maybe we're, are we witnessing the crumbling of an older antiquated system built on mainframe computers and COBOL and JCL and all this stuff? Are we seeing like a crumbling of that and this new network rising that's gonna be much more efficient, but not only does this network allow us to transfer value between each other all over the world efficiently and at less cost, what if this new network allows us to plug in some artificial intelligence into it and make investing decisions based off these data points that we never could have seen before. We never, only the J, the guys running JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs could see, oh, Norway's buying some more treasuries this month. Maybe we'll front run this stuff. Or, right. you know, we, you and I, we could never see those kinds of decisions. But now you can't, you can see when somebody comes in and buys $100 million worth of Bitcoin and takes it off the exchange. Right. And that's Intel. And when this all gets plugged into an efficient network, and you have something that's not a social network that gives us a lot of insight into people, but a monetary network that gives a lot of insight. Is there an opportunity to grow all of our wealth around the world where, where, some, where, where we, can, we can lean on something like AI in a positive way to have our money work efficiently and find opportunities here that we can't even fathom right now? Like, I, is, is, are we that all... sounds great, but I still think that uh, the, the big hedge fund guys are going to have the best AI system. And they're still going to be the ones who take advantage of that system better than the average guy working, you know, construction or working at a factory is going to be able to take advantage or of that. Or fight tooth and nail to not allow everyone else to get the same access as, you know. Yeah. Like the governments aren't going to want that, right? Because they'll fight in tooth and nail to Fernando's make sure they here to save network. us. He's here to save yeah, us. Sure. <laughs> you know, I, I, I do. Um, I agree with both your points. I think, uh, you know, Marco's right that. There will always be people that can exploit it more than others. But I do think there will be sort of a democratization of this. You know, AI already is being democratized. I mean, you know, people are using it every day. And in the past, it was probably the domain of, you know, very few. And today it's the domain of many. When it comes to blockchain and Bitcoin and all this, I don't know what impact it may have on the world. It could be a transcendent moment that we're in right now in a similar way to, imagine if we were having this conversation 25 years ago about the internet, yeah. right? If someone was saying, here's this concept of like this, you know, gathering of information that now suddenly we can get information around the world so immediate and, and you couldn't even wrap your head around it because it was such an abstract concept. I've thought about that before. I've tried to think, if we went back in time in a time machine and tried to explain to people a hundred years ago what an internet was, I couldn't have understood it in high school. If someone had said to me, you know, this info, you know, if someone said, well, where do you get your information now? I would have said encyclopedias, I guess, you know, you, you ordered a, a, a encyclopedias on your shelf and you would take out a book and it was still have the alphabetical order, right? Ones right? right? They were always beautiful looking, right? And, and someone were to say, well, no, those are going to be all gone and you could just access this information. And I would say, well, where is this information housed? And who's going and, to update it? Right. And they're like, well, it's in the ether. It's in, it's in the sky. It's in the cloud. And I'm like, I don't understand what you mean. I think this could be blockchain could be the internet. And I'm not advocating for it. I just don't know the applications of it just yet. But I just read today about this CB. CD or central bank digital currency, digital currency oh, yeah. right? Where no, no, no. you were well versed. You in guys this. are way <laughs> ahead of me on this, but this idea that, and this makes all the sense in the world to me. This last year, we've seen such a reduction in the use of cash, and I, it's it's funny because, you know, I've been in stores where I've they're like, we don't accept cash, just we don't want to touch it, yeah. right? So, I can see this almost accelerating. Bitcoin has been like, I think. COVID's probably the best thing for blockchain because it's making people not want to touch physical dirty things. And this is a great way to, um, to sort of accelerate this. Now, do I think Bitcoin will be 
the 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 currency that we use for everyday purchases. I don't believe that. I was reading a great piece that said, you know, Tesla's talking about taking Bitcoin to buy their cars, which I can see that happening. But the idea of getting paid in Bitcoin, if one day people envision that, no one's going to want to get a paycheck in Bitcoin that the next day can be worth 10% less because the market fell. So that's why the idea of a, a digital currency that's more stable, like if Canada has their own, let's call it Canada-like Bitcoin, but it doesn't, it's not so volatile, I could really see this being the future. And uh, uh, so Canada, Bank of Canada has already released a paper on how they're going yes. to, what it's going to look like, and they're hiring positions on it. So it's it's going to be the future in the relatively near term. The thing I don't like about it is just, and it, you know, this goes down a whole different avenue. It's just the control it gives them over people. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they need more control over people. I think screw the, I was going to say F, but I was like, I, 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 we don't have to put the little Your R. Your mom is the, in the room next door. We don't, have to, we don't have to put the little R You're thing. You're allowed to swear. You can thing. swear. No, but I mean, it's just, it's enough. It's enough. The yeah. question is, do they end up running simultaneously beside each other, right? Do, do the, the central banks have a Canadian digital currency that, you know, runs a significant part of Canada? And is there another lightning network that Bitcoin runs on? Yeah. And yeah. they haven't made it illegal and it's grown, you know, it, eventually that volatility, as it grows larger, the volatility would become smaller, you would think, think right? So. It's, you know, a small asset is more volatile than a large asset. And there might be people out there who say, no, I don't want to be paid in Canadian digital currency. I will take the Bitcoin mm -hmm. because I my business runs across the world. I have, you know, I, you know, another thing that this COVID has shown us is that people are going to start hiring people from around the world. Right. So if I'm, you know, uh, coming up with some sort of product and I've got developers in Brazil, Croatia, India and China. I don't know if I, you know, they may say, you know what, guys, let's all just get paid on Bitcoin. Are, are you down. seeing that? I'm not sure everybody knows what you do. Are you seeing that in your industry? Not quite yet. Okay. Um, I would say that that's going to start, you know, we deal with the large financial institutions. Um, they're not, you know, saying, okay, Marco, I'm looking for a senior Java developer. I don't care what country he comes from. We're not seeing that quite yet. But again, we're dealing with large banks, large ins uh, insurance companies. They are not the first ones to move on that. But I am hearing that from some of my friends who are in the digital uh, space. They have no problem hiring somebody who works in a different country. We're seeing that with entrepreneurs yeah. all, all, all the time. People just run teams all over the globe already. Even, even I mean, 12 years ago when we needed web stuff done, we were on Elance hiring guys from India to do yeah. it. Right? And you so. could see that would really make a case for a universal type currency mm -hmm. yeah. that we don't have to exchange, you know, do mm -hmm. currency exchanges. Um, uh, one of the, this uh, cryptocurrency, I guess you guys would know it. Again, I'm just kind of learning this space, but XRP. You're being humble. You, uh, no, you no. know more than you're no, learning. No, no, no. more than me. That's for sure. XRP, for example, the, the CEO is a, a gentleman named Brad Garrison. And I, I think he made, I think, the most profound point. And XRP, this Ripple company, helps in, in sending money you know, through this blockchain to other parts of the world. And he said, today, the fastest way to send money to London Okay, this is going to shock you when you, you hear this. The fastest way to send someone money to London is to get on a plane, fly there, and hand it to yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, right. that That's the faster day. than wiring funds. Yeah. So talk about this antiquated notion that you just mentioned. This idea of going to a bank, wiring funds, paying a $20 wiring fee, the receiver... $60, right, $80. Pays another, yeah. you know, a receiving fee, and it takes several days to get there. Really, in today's day and age, yeah, that's we can't system. send... Right, exactly. That's system is dead. <laughs> like so it's dead in the water. That's you know? why I think, you know, sometimes what we end up doing is, it reminds me of the, the person who keeps, you know, trying to patch something up and totally. keeping it, when, instead of just throw it out and start again. And I think this blockchain might be the throw it out and start again 
methodology. But is that SWIFT system not part of the overall control mechanism that the it U.S. Is. has yeah, over I know. It's supposed to be an independent organization yeah. or association, whatever you're going to call it, but everyone kind of knows with a wink and a nod that the U.S. poses a well, huge influence the, into it, and then if they want to impose sanctions on someone around the world, right. they cut off their access to the SWIFT system. Right. You can't take payments for your oil, and it's kind of game over. Yeah. Right? Then you're flying gold in planes and mm -hmm. dropping it off on the thing. But... Um, to, to Fernando's, uh, what you guys were just saying, I, d I do feel like it's just being patched up and patched up and patched up. And some of the patching, I think, is driving these asset prices. Mm. It's kind of like, you know, we're, we're lowering interest rates because we got to keep the old system going. So I feel like there's this big theme here where it's like, we're just trying to like, not, not only the tech itself is being patched, but the monetary policy is kind of like being patched as well. Mm. And it, I don't know exactly where it leads us. There's one thing I wanted your guys' opinion on. on I just, I, let me show you guys something quick just before I, I I'm going to have to take off in a little bit but let me just show this where how do i put this up here um here we go look this is the uh prices from around the world i thought this was interesting per square foot prices that's what i was looking up so you can see here toronto if you look at these other countries so you got you know hong kong read out some of the numbers so people because so no hong kong it, it's per square meter okay. is actually so the source is numbio.com I don't know. It might all be wrong. So, but on this source, but like Hong Kong's thirty-one, almost thirty-two thousand price per square meter. New York's sixteenth. New York's well, Queen, Queens is second. Yeah, that's what it has here. New York, New York is uh, sixteen thousand. I don't know what section that is. Countries in China, Paris is fifteen thousand. Again, this is per square meter. San Francisco's fourteen five. Munich, you have Boulder, Boulder, Colorado at uh, 21 at 12.7. Toronto's all the way down here. Look, Milan, Italy's at, at 34th place at 9,800. If you look at Toronto, Dubrovnik. it was, yeah, Dubrovnik. that's what I was laughing at. This has got to be wrong. I think it's got to be wrong. I don't know. Well, this maybe not. Square meter, tell you why. I don't know. But I bet you if you had a chart that did, another competing chart would probably have something similar. Toronto's not going to be at the top of anything. I, right? I don't think it was going to be at the top, but I didn't really? expect to see it as 40, 41 right. seems low. Now, the reason I, I would argue, the reason that European countries or cities are there, like uh, Dubrovnik, for example, is that they live in very small spaces. So the price per square foot is going to be very high. Well, not to mention right? Dubrovnik, yeah, there's not it. a building over four stories. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. so that's another reason right. why. Like, you know, places like Hong Kong, they're, they're living in, you know, little what look like tombs, right? So, and, and paying a fortune. But yeah. Anyway, I, I, wanted, I just wanted to share so that. So you're, you're basically that saying that Toronto has more. Is, is this price per square meter just overall, like the housing market in general? Price per square meter buy, to, buy buy, apartment to buy an apartment in, in, in city, city center. center. Right. Wow. So it's the big cities. I, 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 no doubt Toronto's down there. I don't think it's as down as far as you think, only because some of these cities, literally, they, they don't they don't value square footage the way we do. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not uncommon for, like, in Hong Kong or, you know, you'll see places that people live in, you know, 30 square feet. I mean, it sounds crazy. You ever seen how they sleep yeah. in, like, yeah. you know... Uh, uh, the little like 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 almost like in the wall, the little right, things, a little yeah. wall. So if you, if you're only paying a hundred thousand dollars for that little wall on a price per square footage, it comes out to thirty one thousand, right? Okay, here here's what I want your thoughts on on, on Nick. We're good. Yeah, yeah, I just want to show So that. um, on, on central bank digital currencies, if Canada comes out with one and that becomes our currency, because we're mm -hmm. not going to use Bitcoin. Bitcoin seems like it might be worth too much to be able to right. buy. Like I'm going to buy a donut with my Bitcoin. Right. Do you know what I mean? With I'm a gonna, Satoshi. Uh, with, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow, you're seeing you're all right. in now. You're, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're quoting that out. You're, you're... Yeah, but he didn't call it a sat. Oh, so come on. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, okay, got it, got it. We got it. Um, do we enter a world where CBDCs or central bank digital currencies are day-to-day -day currency? Um, Bitcoin might be there as a store, a store of value. We could transfer back and forth and the on-ramps and off-ramps become this beautiful thing because it's all interconnected and really easy. 
What does the, what does this world do to Nick's point when the government could say, all right, Marco, your son, your oldest son, um, you know what, we're going to give him a positive interest rate on these on this currency because, you know, we can control it now. It's on the blockchain. We can see if mm -hmm. he's spending it. We can see who owns it. We can see their age. And we're going to give him a pot of positive interest rate in the banking of this thing. But Fernando, no, you know what, you're, you're older, or Marco, sorry, we'll keep it all in the family here. You're older, you're, your CBDCs are going to get a negative interest rate because we want you to spend. Why do you think there would be any delineation between people? Like, that, that oh, sounds, uh, I'm not saying no, there isn't, no, but that yeah. sounds a little conspiratorial. Oh, really? I thought it was a nice thing to offer your son positive interest rate. Oh, maybe you're right. So hold on. The finance minister of Canada. I thought that was a good thing. Yeah. No, yeah. you're right. I thought you were. Yeah. I don't know. Because let him earn interest and save. Let him build capital. And they don't They don't want people hoarding money. Because and we don't want need, you to hoard. We they want need you to the spend. They well, need the velocity. And guys. The, the, remember the, the. Sorry. I, I, won't, I just. Fernando's I just got this. Remember the finance minister, her grand plan in December. Do you remember what she said? She goes, everyone's has money in their bank accounts. Our grand plan for recovery. She's like, get out there and spend, spend. money, everyone. Mm -hmm. So How do we get people to I look, spend? I think it's as outrageous as you, but I mean, if she's well, I mean, that was the same thing that George Bush said so. after the attacks on the Twin Towers. Did he really? Yeah, I didn't even he know said, that. don't forget, go out there and keep spending. Okay, see, so now I'm worried because if we're in the same hands as George Bush was, if she's the equivalent of that, then we're in trouble, in my opinion. So. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Two things I'll say about, you know, this digital currency. It's a nice name, but I would argue, don't we already use digital currencies? I mean... No one, I don't, I literally, and I mean this sincerely, I don't have a single dollar in my wallet. Not a single dollar because I use debit cards. And so I would argue we already are doing digital currencies. We're just going to make it more official now with blockchain, but we're doing it in like that patchwork system already, I think. Second thing, as it relates to positive interest versus negative interest, they already try to do a pseudo format of that in a patchwork way by giving RSP contributions you know, for young people to put money into an RSP so that they can save and they give tax credits for that. And conversely, they tax us at a very high rate for, you know, interest income. So they don't want you to put money in GICs. They want you to earn capital gains because they're taxed more. So they encourage you to invest in more economy growing things. I would say that they're trying that already. They've been doing that forever. That is the goal of, of government is, is to get people to spend money and encourage young people so that they don't have to be a burden on society later to save. But you know, I never really looked at it that way. I, I get what you're saying, though. It's just it's 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 patchwork and old it's and kind of crap. And not old. nearly as efficient as what I'm describing. It's not as here. elegant as beautiful as what you're saying. But it's it's kind of there. Yeah. Okay. So then I have one more thing for you. What happens if why do we have to have a currency that loses its value? Why can't we have a currency? that keeps its value and asset prices don't go up? Why can't we have a base unit of measure where it goes up in value over time and all the assets around it continue to decrease? Why do we need a currency to go to continually lose its value and the assets to go up? Why can't we have the currency go up in value and the assets to go down? Well, I mean, why Why not? And what I'm saying is you've just given the mirror image of what happens now. Correct. You know, assets go up because of inflation, which by extension, therefore, means your the value of your dollars go down. You're not actually suggesting that our Canadian dollar goes down in relation to other currencies. You're just saying inflation devalues our dollar and prices, asset prices go up. Why can't we have the opposite? And I would say to you, well, it doesn't matter. 
either way, you're getting the same outcome. If, if your dollar remains static and all the asset prices go up, no, or you said, sorry, if, if the dollar, you said the dollar goes down, why can't the currency go up and all the asset prices stay the same? The outcome's the same. Except, I would, I would throw this one back saying, except it now encourages saving. It, insur- it encourages capital formation at a saving level. It doesn't encourage risk-taking like me making money and quickly risking it into the market. Instead, it encourages me to form capital because my savings is going up in value and I don't have to worry about it. And, and, and over time, I think that encourages a group of people, a community, a society that doesn't have to worry about their future as much because they earn money and they save a piece of it and it goes up in value over time. You're and proposing it, a socialist society then. And that's fine. I think it's great that we take care of all those that need help. See, but I, if you're not encouraging risk taking, well, then how does Amazon no, get? Created? I, no, I'm sorry. Google... I'm encouraging. Ri- no, no, sorry. I, let me be clear. I, I want people to take risk at the proper interest rate of taking the risk unmanipulated. Give me five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent. Hmm. Uh, you know, I'll take the risk. But but I think we need to encourage people to form capital because it's from that formation of capital that productivity and innovation comes from. Whereas I feel now the way the system is is like, oh shit, I have some money in the bank. I better freaking buy something quick, otherwise it's going to go down in value, and it produces this froth in the market. No, no, I, I want capitalism and I want risk, and I just want savings to go up in value instead of assets to go up in value. But kind of sticking with Fernando's point, wouldn't it be if I was sitting on a million dollars cash rather than buying a house, I could sit here and say, oh, all three of you would like to start a business. I'm going to invest in all of your businesses rather than leaving that business, leaving that money in my bank account. Same kind of thing, you know, like I kind of, it's the first time I've heard it phrased that way by, by Fernando. And I think he, he's kind of got a point. And I wonder if the one thing we're just trying to avoid at the end of the day is capital concentration. Like the, the, no matter what we're talking about, you know, every system that we, we look at, the one thing we don't want is that system to be leveraged by few to put money into their hands, no matter what. And that always happens in every system. If you look at you know, capitalism gone wrong, it ends up where there's very few people who have the wealth. You look at communism, and at the end of the day, there was very few people at the top who were living well. So no matter what you're, and this is why I was mentioning this to you, Tom, that no matter what system you look at, um, I don't think either of those systems is, is anywhere near ideal, but it's it's some sort of gray area. Everything always ends up in gray. And these things are almost living organisms. And I feel like they 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 come to a point where they they need to be um, reworked that, that no matter which one you choose, it always ends up levering in one way. And then you need to figure out how to, um, Mm -hmm. pull that lever down the other way. The question is what levers do you use? And generally speaking, the people we have that are pulling our levers in society, we're seeing more and more that the folks in government are not the smartest people. Yeah. And there's corruption and stuff like that. But to, to this point, I I don't go to Tom's point about like, Hey, that, you know, the assets will decrease in value, but I, I, I feel like why does the money need to decrease in value? And here's here's my take on it, because I, I get what you're saying, and, and that makes sense too. Like, But I look at my dad, right, and what he did, and, and he had some savings. So this goes back to the home ownership issue and stuff as well. And so if my father's savings for the value that he created to society, to people doing work for them, he was in the drywall business, and he saved whatever the number was, $100,000, and he did that value. With our policies in place that we have today, 
we are diminishing in the future. We're saying the value that you created to society is no longer worth that much. If you leave it in cash. If you leave it Mm -hmm. in cash. Your value, and based on inflation, is about half. So I don't care that you created all this value and in that time it was assigned by that. We've decided now because of the inflationary policies that we're just going to cut the value that you brought to other people in half. And I don't, I, that's where I struggle with that. And to the point about renting earlier, this is where I, I find that, that, yeah, maybe we don't need home ownership, but people in retirement with continued inflationary policies, how do they continue to rent if they have that as a negative stream of income if our inflation numbers are going to keep pushing that up? I get it. And you know what? Like, no, no situation in this anecdotal situation of your father it applies to a lot of people. I don't think it's not fair to just look at it in isolation because there's always a trade-off for that outcome. Yeah, and so true. I've said this before, for those poor people that saved up all that money yeah. thinking when they were growing up, right, they, were, they always thought, if I could just save $100,000, I'm going to put it into a GIC paying me 11% interest yeah, yeah, and I'm going to live on that the rest that of my life. That was the dream. That right? was the dream. They retire and they're like, holy cow, I can only get less than 1% interest on a GIC. That's unfair to them. But if you just looked at it like that, and if I didn't tell you about the rest of the world, mm-hmm. you could say, that's not fair. Why would the government establish you know, a system that caused this? But the flip side is that what caused that was a reduction in interest rates. And out of a reduction in interest rates allowed people, many people to buy houses that normally could not have afforded it. Yeah. It allowed young people to say, I'm not going to put money in the bank. I'm going to start a business with it because I'm not going to earn anything on it. And so... There's always a flip side to all of this. And, and I know you keep saying, you know, why do we have to devalue the currency? And I think it's, a, it's the way you're framing it is misleading. It's not that we're devaluing the currency, is that we're appreciating assets, right? Everything else around us is getting more expensive, mm-hmm. so the currency is devalued. I know it's just a matter of framing, but sure, I if I, pre- you just, I prefer the negative framing. Yeah, but why the, would you? De- I don't, and <laughs> I don't like. I mean, if 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 you were to say that, then everyone who's just enjoyed their house prices appreciating by twenty percent in the last sixty days—your words, not mine—those people wouldn't have got that twenty percent because it would have stayed static, yeah. and their dollar would have stayed stable. What I'm saying is, there's a trade-off, and I was going to say. It almost feels like, you know, to use my kid's phrase, like first world problems. Here we are trying to fix a system that, you know, 99% of the rest of the world would die to move into. Everyone wants to come to the Western, the Western world because they love our system. Capitalism, democracy, you know, human rights, you know, animal rights. I always say, imagine in third world countries, if they knew that the things we care about are, you know, the environment and animal rights. You know, make sure you treat animals. And I love animals. I do. They would say, you think we care about how you treat <laughs> yeah, yeah. your dog? I just need a meal. We need a meal. <laughs> and so what I'm saying is, I know, we, we you get into this system of, we've yeah. got to fix this. I'm like, it's already pretty darn good. Yeah, no, you're see, right. What I you're like right. about Fernando is he thinks, see, I think where I come from is I think the, the policies in place bring us to a day of reckoning that is going to be wicked. And... I think what I like about you that you bring to the table is you're like, ah, maybe that doesn't really pan out the way you're thinking it's going to pan out. But this is where I think we are headed. And this is why I have these thoughts. Whereas you help balance some of my thinking because, and Marco, you do a good job of this as well. But I'm saying 99, like that day of reckoning, even if it materializes exactly as you believe, as dreadful as that sounds, that world would be the most desirable world to 99% of the rest of the world. 
You know, so what does that mean for you? That instead of, you know, living in a $2 million house, you live in a million dollar house or a $500,000 house. There are people in Africa that would say, is that your day of reckoning? Because no, that's I, my I, day of, of exaltation. That's my yeah. day of heaven. I think you know? that's a good, you know, like looking at it in that sense, comparatively speaking. But if you look at comparatively speaking, you know, what people talk about, how do we live versus other generations? Like I do do agree. I mean, generally speaking, when I talk to Tom, I'm on your side of the table. Okay. I'm the guy that's, you know, kind of disputing some of okay. Tom's facts. But I do think... <laughs> this is Marco's nice way okay. of saying he keeps me in check. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, but I do think, though, that we're going to come to a point where a lot of the things that we're currently providing to people social services, pensions, things like that. I don't know if there's going to be enough money for those people um, at and, some point. I just, if you look at this. That's I mean, where it comes from. I'm just looking at the yeah, math. Yeah, if we're just allowed to print money forever and that works, holy fuck, what have I been doing my whole life? <laughs> like, why do I work hard when we can just print money as, you know, if governments can print money till the end of time. Like, you remember back in the day, it used to be, you know, liberals spend money, conservatives yep. save money. Balance budgets. That yeah. doesn't work anymore. Now liberals spend on what they want, conservatives spend on what they want. Nobody really saves money anymore. But again, we're going to have to meet here regularly yep. until something happens. So we well, can that's see the other thing too, is that I always find that people that have these extreme views, every time you challenge them and say, well, it hasn't happened yet. You know what their answer always is? Your answer always is? Oh, but it's going to happen. You just watch. And that would be the equivalent of me saying the Leafs are going to win the Stanley Cup. Trust no, me, it's, it's going to happen it's, one day. It's different. I'm trying to hedge because um, we're obviously in real estate. Mm -hmm. We're in real estate. That's the old system. Let's face it. That's built on a credit system of the existing system. And so I think where we're coming from or where I'm trying to come from is to, you know, basically the whole idea of, of what this podcast is called is live life on our terms and set ourselves up to be able to have freedom. And to me, that means understanding the rules of the game so that I'm not caught off guard like our family was caught off guard in 1990 where, you know, our, our parents ultimately got divorced over what happened in mm -hmm. 1990 and we almost went bankrupt. So like those were formative years for me. I was 17. That was, you know, and then the real estate market continued to go down for about five, six years after that. that those were, so for me, yes. it took me from 17 to the age of 23. Those were some formative years and, and probably have set up some of my views, right? Sure. Uh, but, uh, but I think, I, I'm no, I'm in the game. Like yeah. we're Nick and I are buying real estate. We bought real estate this year. We bought heck. We bought this commercial. We closed on this commercial real estate in 2020. Mm -hmm. So we're 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 in the game. We're playing. It's just I don't want to be caught off guard. Yeah, I think that's where I'm coming from. I'm not trying to be extreme. I'm just trying to be aware. I get it. And Marco, your point of you know there's going to be sort of a, a, a reckoning, or that was your point, Tom. But your point of of how you know this debt can you just keep printing debt? And I say you know what when you look at people and how they live their lives, especially in Canada, is really a microcosm of the government. So in our generation, the idea of a secured line of credit was a new concept that emerged in the last 20 years. Before that, if our parents wanted to put a pool in the backyard or finish their basement, they had to save money and do that. If they wanted to buy a car, they had to raise the money, or save the money, and then buy the car. We are just an extension of our government. Our government's taking on debt like we wouldn't believe, and people are taking on debt. And what I'm saying is, yes, objectively, that sounds bad. But let me ask you this. Is it so bad that instead of deferred gratification like our parents did, that they're saying today with these low interest rates, we're saying, you know what? I'm going to borrow the money. I'm going to finish my backyard so my kids can swim in the pool when they're kids and not when they're teenagers. And yes, I'll be paying this back for a long time, but life, I'm living life. 
And the government, I mean, they don't do it for that reason, obviously. But, you know, I may be a little bit different here, is that debt is bad, not, but not all debt is bad. Some debt is okay. Yeah. And then some debt is great. If you're borrowing money to start a business, that's good debt. If you're borrowing money to enhance your life, not in a buying a car that depreciates, but rather putting it in your house, you know, finishing your backyard, chances are that's pretty good debt. It may not translate into a positive lift, but it could because you're adding value to your house. And then bad debt is, like I said, if you're borrowing money to go to the casino or, or buying a car that's depreciating or something, that's bad debt. I think it's too simple to say debt is bad. And Agreed. But so, you know, why, why do we make CERB payments 600 bucks a month? Why don't we make them $6,000 a month then? Like there, there is always a tipping point yeah, and there's always sure. some, some logic based on what we're Agreed. doing, right? Like, You're right. you know, right now we have universities in Canada that I went to, I'm very proud of, you know, they're not as affordable as they used to be, but when you compare them to American universities, great, you know, but why don't we just make them free then? Mm -hmm. You know, like we can all, there's always something where we can say, you know, uh, you know, people with disabilities, um, you know, uh, pharma care, uh, dental care. Like, why don't, why doesn't the country just pay for everything then? Would that be so bad? I don't know. If, but If, like, if universities but if, were free? No, and I, I support that stuff. But like, what is the trade-off? If, if it's just printing money and we can have that stuff, well, fuck, well, what have we been waiting for? But, but Marco, what I'm saying to you is this. Yeah. Have you felt any adverse effect by the government this year adding 50% to our national debt? Right, so we we are now approaching a trillion dollars in Canada. We talked about U.S. numbers. We haven't talked about Canadian numbers. At the beginning of this year, we had about 650, 660 billion dollars of national debt. They've taken on another fifty percent to get to a trillion. Have you been adversely affected? So doesn't that so come down? Though, what I'm saying is, I know that Greg, we doesn't that come down to Greg Foss and the bond market. Like, but, when does this ride in? Yeah, like, that's do, what I do, mean. Everyone like, keeps, I don't, that stuff's above my pay grade. Me too. You know what? You know? Everyone um, keeps talking about this philosophical world of where, oh, we're going to have to pay the piper. I'm like, so we've not paid it to this point. What does this all mean? Is there a possibility that this is the Wizard of Oz behind a, 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 a curtain and really in the end, it doesn't matter? We can get to $100 there, trillion there in debt? An, there was an older gentleman, I forget on what news program that I saw online somewhere. He said, take on the debt. He goes, people told me debt was going to be bad in the 1970s. Then they told me in the 80s. Then they yeah, told me right. in the 90s. That's what I'm saying. And then he's like, you know what? Just take on the debt. I think he was one of these MMT supporters and he was just saying, take it on, you know? And when you look back on that person's lifetime with their frame of reference, hard to argue against. And, and using the inflation again, Yeah, inflation reduces debt. And oh no, I know, you know I'm, so, I'm on, but listen, listen, I, I, we own real estate for all these reasons. We right. know assets go up. We know the mortgages on the, on the debt look smaller and smaller on, on the properties because the properties increase in value. Right. And if the way that the, they're going to in, play the game is continue to put more debt in the system, if they're going to solve today's problems with more debt. So if they're going to solve a debt problem with more debt, then you want to own some good assets. Because right. that's just going to drive the value of them. So my Austin Matthews rookie card is going to be worth $10,000 one day. And one of you two are going to have to buy it yes. for that price. Happy to because of these policies. I'm a big fan. Listen, when the you got a problem with Mitch Marner? No, I'm just a Matthews fan. Mm. He scores everywhere. I mean, I listen. prefer the good Canadian boy. Do you? That's just me. I don't know. The score. I'll go with the score. No, Mitch mm -hmm. Marner. I like the fact that he's from Toronto. I want to ask you guys both something else different because we're gonna we're, we're never gonna solve all these problems today, but we're close. We're close. I feel we're close. We're yeah, gonna bring. Yeah. We're gonna we bring. We just in, need some calculators. We're gonna bring in Greg table, Foss right? and talk about the math of the credit markets and have Fernando sit here about, uh, with uh, with him, and then right. they can debate. Yeah, I don't even. Then. I don't even I, need I, a I, microphone we'll, we'll if he's back. here yeah, because we'll uh, that'll be over my page. We'll just sit back and watch the 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 fun. When this when when we're we're unlocked and allowed to travel. 
anywhere in the world, where are you guys going to go? I'm, my, I'm desperate to go back to Croatia. I want to be on the coast of the Adriatic and eat those meals and lie on the beach. To me, that's where I'm going. That, you know, I've kind of thought about this. We bought a, a place up in Blue Mountain, Fernando. I don't know if I told you or not. No. So we're going to have a place up there to go Fantastic. do should we're ever locked uh, up again. Um, but uh, that's where I want to go. What about, where's the first place? Things are unlocked. You mm -hmm. guys get to travel somewhere. After where, you, sir. where are you guys going? Well, I, um, I'm probably going to go to the Bahamas. I have a place there, so I'd have to go check it out because I've not been there for a year now. So it's That's a, crazy. You yeah. have a place. That, mm -hmm. But could you have gone there? If you own I a place have. there, do you have some kind of status that allows you? Oh, to, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I could have gone there, but I, you know, I'm a good citizen. I didn't want to be traveling and putting people at risk, so... I stayed put for the year. Wow, that is a good citizen. <clears throat> if I had the ability to go to the Bahamas and a place there, I don't know if yeah. I'd be as a good citizen as yeah. you. You get the good citizen badge of yeah, honor. No I kidding. would be the good. evil guy yeah. who's sneaking, sneaking under in. the cover of darkness. Just like just like the politicians. <laughs> oh, jeez. Doing videos, they, doing they, they videos the from Barbados. Let's face it, we all yeah. see out. No, yeah, no one here traveled. We all right. sat here. They traveled. Exactly. I've, uh, I've already started planning my Croatia trip. Croatia okay, so yeah. yeah, so I'm uh, I did a uh, one his wife's from close to the same area where my father's from, I see. and he goes travels in the yeah, same spot, yeah, yeah. So, uh, a couple of summers ago, we uh, we rented a catamaran for a week and we did wow. all the Croatian islands, um, and that was the best trip I've ever had in my life. So, um, my cousin who lives there was saying that, um, that they're anticipating a big year in the Croatian uh, coastal economy this year, more so just because of pent-up demand, not and that Croatia can't afford to stay closed. Great, so the cell network's going to be even worse. Well, you know, if you want to book stuff, you better book it now, wow. right? Yeah. So um, We I mean, own there, Rado. Don't have to book anything. Yeah, but you like boats too, buddy. Okay, I, I need the boat. You're right. Got it. Yeah. Look at you smiling like oh, you already you booked your boat. About... And we're laughing because this is a small country. There's not many boat, boats available for, bo uh, available for booking. Right. Like yeah. it's, a, it's literally so a concern. Like Marcos, he's <laughs> yeah, like, he's I, obviously I got, got his booking already. Plus my cousin does it all for me. So <laughs> okay, I just have it, to say yes and he takes care of it. He's got that shit-eating yeah. grin on just smiling. He's like, I got my boat. Yeah. Marcos like, not only do I have Talk my boat, I booked them all. Yeah. So I'll be selling them at a... You were right about first world problems at this table. You were totally right about first world. Guys, thank you for sitting here and chatting. We're going to have to do this again. Sure. Until this wicked the day of reckoning either comes or never comes. Never comes. <laughs> I Thanks, hope it guys. never comes. I got to be honest here. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hey, everyone. So hopefully you enjoyed that episode. You can find Marco at nexusgroup.ca. That's his website, nexusgroup.ca. And you can find Fernando Cipriano at 8.inc. And 8 is A-I-T dot inc. And if you are listening to this and you want to see if you can slip in and get a spot at the Your Life, Your Terms event this Saturday, February 20th, you can go to the URL yourlifeyourtermsevent.com to see if we have any seats left. That's it for now. Until next time, Your Life, Your Terms.